Well, good morning from me as well. Is it suddenly gone? Where's the sun gone all of a sudden? Um, one other announcement from me. One of my visions for church <clears throat> is that there's care, share, and prayer. And if you remember when I arrived, we were hoping to run weekly meals on a Sunday so we could get together, care for each other, eat, and share, and pray. And then the world broke down. Well, we're hoping to restart those meals in February, but not every week because we're not sure we're ready for that yet. So we're hoping the first Sunday of every month, starting in February, half five till half six, will be a church family meal for anyone who wants to come. Just come and eat together. And if you're out busy in the days, come for a warm meal in the night. And then in between the first course and pudding, someone will share something about Jesus in their lives. So that's what we'll help to do for the first uh, Sunday of every month from February. So if you're on that rotor and you're still up for it, um, please let, I think it was Olwyn though who manages the rotor that you might be still up for it. Or if you're not, let us know. Right, everybody, John chapter 9, um, Jesus' disabilities and illness. There are lots of people here for whom Jesus is the light of their life. And we gather on Wednesdays to pray that the world, more people in the world would get to see that Jesus is light because we know how good he is. I welcome you at home. Maybe you don't know him yet. Oh, he's light and he... We know it here, so join him. And in John chapter 8, which, by the way, is the chapter before John chapter 9, he calls himself the light of the world. And he knows that not everybody's in his light. He doesn't mean that everybody's following the light of Jesus. He just means this. If, you're in, if you want the light, there's only one that's ever been provided for the world, like proper light. Light! Oh, I've come alive! Like that type of light, there's only one, and it's Jesus. He's the light of the world. And then chapter 9 begins, and he displays one area that he is light. One area, okay? And he heals someone. Oh, and he eases someone's burdens. And I think it's good timing in the Lord's sovereignty that we've been going through John because I think Park End, there's a number of people ill, unwell, suffering at the moment. And here we are at John chapter 9. Ladies and gentlemen, um, everybody here knows that people suffer. And I venture to say that everyone here, to some degree, has suffered. Your friends may have suffered. Your loved ones may have suffered. Worst of all, I think, is when children suffer in this world. It's one of the hardest parts of being in a fallen world. And God allows it. And he's allowed it in your life. I remember once a child was born that me and Rita were working with in one of our churches. And no one ever went to him when he cried. <clears throat> so we developed this syndrome of a detachment disorder, a severe one. And his body taught him that humans are against him. Because when he needed them the most, he was neglected. And now he is struggling all the way through his life as he grows with severe issues from neglect. Suffered. Children suffer. And not just that. Some people suffer and it's not from neglect. 
It's from birth. You're born with illnesses, conditions, disabilities. So now let me say something obvious before we delve in. People with illnesses, syndromes, and disabilities can obviously lead a rich life. And they're often more happy and content than those without conditions. Especially if they're Christians and they're in the light of church and the Lord Jesus Christ. And it would be naive of us not to think that. So I wanted to say that at the start. Here's a, um, a, a quote from a website uh, with Christians who are suffering uh, with all sorts of conditions. They write this. We want to shout that life with a disability and with Jesus is infinitely better than a healthy body without him. We say with Paul that this momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all compassion. As long as we've got Jesus, it's all right. But nevertheless, it would also be naive to say that people with conditions who suffer and who have fears and troubles and illnesses it's naive to say it's easy and that it's not a struggle. Uh, Johnny Erickson Tarder, who some of you may have read some of her books, she's a Christian um, who has uh, got disabilities and having a third bout of cancer. She wrote to me last year and she said, sometimes I just need a hug. I don't need a theological lesson. I just need a hug because life is such a struggle and it's costly suffering with illnesses and conditions and disabilities. It's costly financially and emotionally and draining and there's lots of trips to the doctors and there are classes to attend and coping mechanisms and sleepless nights and exhaustion and temptations and loneliness for everyone involved at times. And lo and behold, John chapter 9 comes onto the lap of Park End Church and it's for, among others, suffering people. And if not with disabilities, it's for those who are suffering with anything that makes you go like this. <sighs> Have you ever done that? Did you do it this morning? People who feel alone. People for who did, they didn't ask for something and it's entered their life and their lives will never be the same again. And they wake up this morning and they woke up and they said, life isn't how I planned it out to be. This isn't what I planned. It's so much harder. And to sum up John chapter 9, hopefully not in a cheap way, because I'm not cheapening suffering, chapter 9 can be summarized like this. Jesus is the light of the world, so there's no situation on earth that can come our way as a church that will make us throw in the towel. It's not hopeless. And it's not pointless what you're going through. And John chapter 9 is written to remind us whether we feel it or not, whether darkness is enveloping us today, there is still light. There is. And for the children of light, sometimes we know this, he does shed his light in my innermost being at times in those sorrows that I can't even share with the person next to me in the pew. He can do it. He can. 
And here's how it happens in John chapter 9. In verse 5, Jesus says again, I am the light of the world. Which means, everybody, you're not alone. There is a light. Darkness doesn't win. And how he, here's how one person finds out. Here's verse 1. As Jesus went along, he saw a blind man from birth. And Jesus sees him, and he probably makes sure everybody else sees him. Here's the first note. Jesus runs into suffering. We like to run away from it. Jesus runs into suffering. That's what he's like. And the man's blind from birth. And if you remember verse 18, oh no, I told Chris to finish at 17, sorry. Here's verse 18. The Jews still did not believe that he had been born blind and received his sight, so they sent for his parents. So his parents aren't with him. So something's happened in this man's life. He was born blind and now his parents aren't with him. I'd imagine that caused lots of social rifts. Something's happened, they have to go and find the parents. So at now, he's a beggar. And Jesus sees him and so do the disciples. And something interesting happens in verse 2. His disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Isn't that an interesting question? They go rummaging around asking Jesus, who's to blame for this man's blindness? His parents or him? He must be being punished. He's blind from birth. And as usual, Jesus answers them in a way they're not expecting, because that's what he does. They want to know the cause. He tells them about the purpose. They want to know the immediate cause. He reminds them of a person. Here's verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. He says, ladies and gentlemen, there's a bigger story going on here. God is at work in this person's miserable day and in this miserable situation. Now here's something very important to note about suffering. It's not due to a specific sin in his life. Do you get that? Fragile people, sensitive people, need to read John chapter 9 more. Now, of course, the Bible does teach this when it comes to suffering. All suffering is because sin is in the world. And there'd be no suffering if sin wasn't in the world. It's because the world is fallen and cursed. Because we've run from God into this cursed world. And, as you know, sometimes we suffer because of we've made some bad, stupid decision. And countries suffer because other countries are making bad, stupid decisions and there are consequences. Right? But, often, like in John chapter 9, it is not because of anyone's specific sin. The physical horrors that some of us will face this week are just because there's this invisible moral horror of fallenness and sin. And it's like things are in tatters because of it. And Jesus says, don't go racking your brains or your parents' brains about any specific sin. Let me blow your mind instead. God has a purpose in this man's life. His glory will be displayed in this situation. And we do that too. Um, some women give birth. 
I'm told it's painful and unpleasant. I remember when my hand was nearly broken holding Rita's hand. So it was unpleasant for all of us. But if you ask any parent, you're going to bring your child into the world. It's going to be tough at times. There will be pain in the person's life. But there's a bigger picture. They still bring children into the world, knowing that there'll be pain and suffering. Why? Because goodness can happen in the midst of it. And you ask a lady who's given birth, was it painful? Yes. Was it worth it? Yes. And here God does the exact same thing. There's suffering. Will it be worth it in your life? Yes. Yes. Let me be more specific. In this instant, God has allowed a defective chromosome to fertilize an egg because he has a plan. So there's two truths. Everybody in Park End Church sitting in front of me, according to Psalm 139, has been wonderfully knitted together in the womb by our Heavenly Father. You're wonderful. John chapter 9 also says this. In this fallen world, God has also allowed sin to enter your gene pool. So you're not perfect. But God has a plan. And as Jesus enters the, approaches this blind man, some people here may need to hear this this morning. And I know for a fact that one or two people do. There isn't a child or adult in this room or watching at home whom for every second of their lives God doesn't have a plan. That's John chapter 9. Whether you spent last night screaming in tears, or you're dumbfounded with grief, or you're crying with joy, from a bad back to a broken heart, God has a plan. So the big question is this. Well, what's the purpose? Why am I going through this? What's the purpose in this man's blindness, in his disability? How does it put God's work on display as we think about our own lives as well? Well, in this case, it's this. The Father is showing that the Son is light, that Jesus is light, who has power to heal. To heal. And that's the work of God. And he still heals today, sometimes through doctors, sometimes directly. The Lord Jesus Christ heals, and the Father loves to do that work. And he is showing, in John 9, what his future world is going to be like. He's giving us a vision of our loved ones in Christ running on that new day, running with no illness, praising and singing and leaping with smiles and bodies that we've never seen them before. It's a, th it's a thumbnail of the world to come because Jesus is light. And to do it, and if we don't get this, we've missed a trick. He does something that I wouldn't advise doctors in 2022 to do because it's not very PC. Having said this, he spat on the ground made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. If Sue Williams was here, I'd ask her, have you ever done that? It's not very PC. Probably be cancelled today for that sort of thing. He makes a spit cake. I haven't seen that one on the Bake Off this year. 
Why didn't he instantly heal? Answer. Here's why. There's a couple of reasons. He could have zapped him, but he didn't. He is showing, now we're ready for, ready for this one, religious people, that there's no light in religion, that Jesus is the light. He's showing religious people who just go to church, but they don't have light, that they need Jesus. They need Jesus. He's showing people who love certain instruments in church, but they don't love Jesus, that he's the light. He's showing people who love a certain Bible version, but they don't, love, they don't love Jesus, that he's the light. He's showing people that people who like to come to church, but they don't love their church family that Jesus tells them to love. He's showing them who've got hate in their hearts that they need Jesus. And he does that by making a spit cake on the Sabbath. And he makes a spit cake on the Sabbath. It's a shame the English here. Cake and, and the mud and dough are the same word. Because the religious people had made a rule. Don't make dough on a Saturday. So Jesus comes up, because that's a s- silly rule. And he provokes them. And he's like, kneading it. That's how the Greek works. He's kneading dough on a Saturday. And they're watching. And they want to kill him. And verse 16 says he does it on a Saturday and they're angry at that because that's their Sabbath. And he does that to show that he's Lord of the Sabbath. He's Lord of the spit cake. He's Lord of light. He's Lord of the Saturday. Any and every rule in the church should be from Jesus and for Jesus. And they'd invented all these nasty ones which were crushing people. And so he heals a man on a Sabbath. Do you know why? Because Sabbath is all about rest. Sabbath is when we can go even if I'm not very well. I can rest. That's what the Sabbath's for. And we'd show it one day a week. Even if I'm worried about my finances, I'm not going to work on Saturday. Do you know why? I'm showing that God's still got me. Even if I can't get out of bed, He's still got me. And one day a week, I'm just going to remind myself that I am His, in His shalom and His light. And He's got me. And so He heals a man. On a Sabbath. And he brings him rest. Ah, He's healed me. I've been looking for rest everywhere. And Jesus finally brings it to me. He's got me. He's done this visual spit cake reminder that he's Lord of light and Lord of healing on a Saturday. And he brings rest. And he displays it. Jesus calls us all. Come to my rest this morning. Jesus says lots of people will never enter my rest. But I want you to. Are you in my lightful rest? So there you are. There's John chapter 9. A snapshot of God's power in the world to come. But I've got a couple more things to say. Because I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, that's nice. But this sermon's not for me. Because my problems haven't been healed. That's what you're thinking. Well, the last part of this goes like this. He is still the light of the world. He is still your light. Sometimes God's work on display isn't healing. Sometimes in the Bible, his purpose is to sustain. In John 9, he instantly heals. In 2 Corinthians 12, he sustains. Both are equally light-filled glory. It's healing in John 9. Elsewhere, it's 
I've got you. We're not done yet in this situation, but I've got you. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, three, t- three times I have asked for this thing in my flesh to be removed. Lord, three. God's like, nope. Have you had the nope? Nope. Sometimes we joke, God switched his hearing aid off to me with this one. It's clever, but it's not true. He swears to his people that he never switches his hearing aid off. Never. So the no isn't, I'm not listening. It's a fatherly, not yet, I'm still at work. Not yet, I'm still at work. And for Paul, he goes, that no ended up with me learning this. My grace is sufficient for you. I have now discovered that God is better than health. And his no got me there. God says, I will put my power on display through you, not by healing you instantly, but sustaining you. Trust me, I've got you safe. In a very real way, your foot will never be moved. I've got you. And on a personal note, as the apocalypse seems to be drawing in, what's happening with this weather? This could be it. Get ready. Are you in the light? On a personal note, I read this this week, and I had some of you in mind. 2 Corinthians uh, 1. Praise be to the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, ready, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we've received from God. Paul says this. He comforts us People are watching us suffer and be comforted, and then they get comforted watching you comfort us. Do you understand that? And I was like, I tell you what, in the three years this month, by the way, that I've been here, some people and some of you have gone through absolutely relentless, horrific situations. And I've watched and occasionally dipped in as best as I can. Some of you are now, and I hate to use American sort of twee language, more beautiful to me and others that have talked to me about you than you were three years ago because of your sustaining, keeping reality that you've known him. God, to some of us, especially me, is more beautiful to me now than he was three years ago because I've watched some of you. Hang on in there, in the light. I trust God more because you've been sustained. And I know full well some of you were not like Mother Teresa all the way through your suffering because I was there listening when we were at our like bottom. I was reminded the other day of uh, something funny. Um, an elder, no, a minister went to visit an elder who had a parrot. And when they were having a meeting, the parrot started swearing. I'll let that sink in when I have a drink. One of you's got it. Where did the parrot learn, in the, learn the swear words? From his owner. And, well, I thought it was funny. Obviously, I've got a different sense of humor to park in this morning. Funny because it's like, why are we pretending? Why are we one thing in church? Well, We go home and suffer. We don't smile anymore at home. We're all faking on Sunday. We go home and we're suffering and we're effing and jeffing and 
going through life things. The parrot knows what we're really like. The minister shows up. We're all busted. It's like we're not called to be Mother Teresa. And I know some of you haven't been like Mother Teresa during your suffering. I was there. I was listening and praying with you through it. That's not what we're called to be. The testimony of the Christian light is this. He gets us back up. Let's be real. He gets us back up. He is our hope. C.S. Lewis said this. Some of you thought you were being made into a decent little cottage by God. But he is actually turning you into a palace that he intends to come in and live fully in your lives. One Puritan said this. Many people have been wheeled to hell in the chariots of earthly pleasures, while others have been whipped to heaven by the rod of affliction. John chapter 9, as I close, is this. Sometimes you can't trace his hand in your life and say, I know exactly what he's doing, but we can trust his heart. And if you're not a Christian, come to Jesus and know the sustaining, keeping power of a mighty God. Don't aim for comfort and health. Go higher. Aim to know God because that's all of our calling in this world and the next. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.